Hello, and welcome back to Restoral Planet Podcast with me, your host, Jack Cole. So today I'm joined by Bethany Copsey, who's based in Denmark, working for Repeat, and she's going to teach us all what's going on in the peat world. So Bethany, welcome. And you start by telling us a little bit about your background and the background of uh, your organization. Yeah, thanks. So I'm Bethany. I'm uh, currently in Denmark, as you said, uh, where I'm finishing my studies in soils and global change. So kind of related to the peatlands and the wetlands still as well. Um, and I started Repeat about two and a half years ago now uh, with a couple of friends. Um, we were just, yeah, we were on an excursion where we were taken to a peatland and we realised that despite having studied environmental science or environmental policy, we really had no idea about the ecosystem that we were in. Uh, and we were really struck by a sense that we just, probably a lot of other people were in the same situation that we were in, where they just had studied environmental science or were interested in environmental activism or advocacy and had never come across peatlands. So we felt there was a real gap uh, in, in the conversation uh, or in the information being transmitted to the general public or to people like ourselves. And so that's how we started Repeat. And then through that process, I got onto this master's study that I'm doing now. So kind of as I learned about peatlands, it, it changed a little bit the trajectory of my life and what I was going to study. And now I find myself doing a lot more around uh, natural science and soils. Lovely. So just kick things off. Tell us what is a peat bog and uh, why are they important? So peatlands are a type of wetland uh, where you have essentially a waterlogged area where as plants fall and they uh, fall into die and fall into this water, they're unable to fully decompose. They kind of stay in the suspended decomposition state. And that means they keep a lot of their organic carbon uh, with them as well. So that's not being um, converted into CO2 and uh, released into the atmosphere. And this is what makes them a huge carbon store. They have this capacity to just hold on to all of that organic matter uh, in an intact peatland at least uh, for you know thousands of years even. Um, and uh, you have a lot of different types of peatlands around the world, so things from bogs to fens to kind of tropical peatlands as well, temperate areas. There's a lot of variety within that, but this is the main kind of uh, idea that you have these layers and layers of organic matter that is building up. Um, and so they kind of exist in this space of being not quite water, not quite land. And it means they've, they're a lot of unique biodiversity has adapted to live in that kind of environment as well. Uh, so you have kind of carnivorous plants, for example, to kind of sphagnum moss, which literally kind of creates and builds the peatland. Um, so this carbon role is really important. The biodiversity role is really important. And you also have a lot of kind of cultural and social interface of peatlands as well. So ranging from kind of the fresh water that we drink is often filtered or can be filtered through peatlands um to kind of flood buffering and preventing of land subsidence these kind of uh, kind of ecosystem services as they're called uh, can come from peatlands as well brilliant and you mentioned the different types there and of course you're based in denmark where can we find peat bogs and how how common are they are they sort of all over the place um in, in all parts of the world or are they sort of you no know, where can we find them So you do find them all across the world um, and you have kind of then boreal peatlands, temperate peatlands and tropical peatlands, these kind of different regions where you can find them. Um, but they do only cover about 3% of the world's freshwater and land surface area. So comparatively, it's not a huge amount, but you do find them in a lot of different areas. 
And of course, wetlands is a larger area as well. So peatlands then, yeah, maybe you have small areas of peatland within broader uh, wetland complexes, for example. Um, so they're not hugely everywhere, but you can find them everywhere. They're not hugely dominant in those spaces, but they have a really kind of outsized role within those spaces. Okay, and I think that will move us on nicely to uh, your projects, specifically what you've been working on. So REPEAT, as I mentioned, kind of started out of recognising there was maybe a lack of um, knowledge being transmitted, even though there's been a lot of work going on uh, to do with peatlands for the past decades. Uh, so we were really thinking about how can we make this information go through to the general public? How can we um, work in a way that uh, invites more and more people to join into this conversation? So we landed upon quite a creative, um, organic kind of way of working where a lot of our work is around the narrative change and thinking about how do we change the image of peatlands, which has traditionally been that they're wastelands or unproductive, undesirable kind of areas. So how do we change that and tell new stories and build new stories around peatlands? And so that's what Repeat's been doing for the past couple of years. And we do that in a few different ways. A lot of it, because we started during the pandemic, a lot of our work was online then, so we did a lot of kind of online sessions, webinars. Uh, we did a peat fest, which was a 24-hour um, yeah, celebration of peatlands from all different disciplines. Uh, and that's something we've kind of carried through as we've been going for the past couple of years. And now we're kind of moving into a space of thinking about how do we bring that narrative change uh, into um, more explicit social and ecological justice spaces as well. So thinking about how does uh, protecting peatlands and restoring peatlands, how does that interact with social justice when you think of issues such as uh, the cost of living crisis or uh, retrofitting houses if people aren't uh, required or, or led towards, um, you know, burning turf, for example, or how, you know, how do we think about it in those framing as well? So that's something we've been devoting a bit more time to recently is thinking how it interacts with these different social, you know, broader societal and social issues and questions. Would you mind going a little deeper into that? Um, just just for my understanding is exactly what is uh, eco-justice and how Pete does factor into the cost of living crisis. So I think when we think of social and ecological justice, or, um, sorry, maybe we start that sentence again yeah uh, so when we think of um you know thinking of social and ecological justice and how that interacts with uh peatlands is really you know it's a question of how it interacts with broader climate change questions as well uh, that if we think about the actions that we need to now take um in order to create viable futures then it has to be done through that lens that uh, you know allows more people to be into the conversation allows more people to be in decision-making processes, especially. Um, so, and then how does peatlands relate to that? Well, you can look from a lot of different angles, actually. And you mentioned the cost of living crisis then. Well, you find that in a lot of places uh, or, you know, various places in Europe, in Ireland or the north of Scotland, for example, uh, that people are still burning turf. And a lot of that is a very cultural uh, interaction that people have had with peatlands. So it's not only driven by a cost of living crisis, uh, but also that really strong, you know, uh, centuries-long uh, relationship with peatlands. Um, but some of it is driven then by the cost of living. If we're thinking about gas prices going up, more people this year potentially could have been driven towards uh, cutting turf for their housing. 
So then you have a social issue because if people can only afford to cut turf and cutting turf is being made illegal or being, um, you know, not allowed anymore, then um, you're kind of putting people in a really tricky situation. So how are they supposed to heat their homes unless you invest in, in you know, large scale policies such as retrofitting? So then you have, as peatland advocates who want peatlands to be restored and and you know maintained and protected, we have to think to ourselves, okay, how do we kind of work together and build solidarity with people who maybe are, you know, coming at it from a slightly different angle and build that kind of relationship where we're pushing for retrofitting and how and then that's also leading towards peatland restoration as well. If you see what I mean. Hey, interesting. All right, I hadn't thought about things um, in that way before. Um, so I wonder if I could ask a little bit more, um, as someone who really knows so little about it, a little bit more about the processes of what happens in the people. You did mention, of course, that they, um, you know, when plants die and they fall into the bog, that they're sort of preserved. Um, I was thinking about how they quite often find sort of prehistoric, you know, like uh, people that have been preserved and things in peat bogs. And I was wondering a little bit more about sort of that deeper ecology of, um, yeah, of, of the processes. So yeah, exactly that you have this kind of waterlogged environment is kind of the key thing that sets it off, sets it all going, I suppose. Um, and this is where the preservation capacity is coming from as well, that you have this really um yeah, wet environment where um the organic matter is unable to decompose because there's not enough oxygen in that environment. And that also is what lends itself towards this preservation capacity where you have pollen being preserved for, for uh, millennia, or you have uh, exactly bog bodies being found, other kind of artifacts from, you know, previous generations and centuries. Uh, so this water, this hydrolog hydrological element of peatlands is really key for this kind of process to be happening. Uh, and this is also why, you know, when, when we're draining them, we're, we're removing that really key core aspect of peatlands. You know, if you're kind of removing this water out of the peatland, you first of all, you remove a lot of the bulk and, and uh, what makes up a peatland so that over time the land would subside because you, you're missing this key component. Uh, but it also is then what allows this organic matter to begin a decomposition process. Uh, and then over time it becomes drier. And um, that's what we see a lot across Europe is this drained that has been going on. Right. So one of the main threats is that they've been they're being drained, peat bogs. And is that for is that for you know construction urbanization is it for building roads and things what, what's the driving force i mean it's quite a few different things and it's been going on for a long time right as, as long as humans have been kind of living in this well now i talk specifically around kind of northern europe um as long as people have been living here the, the drainage has been going on largely so and this is for uh, reclaiming land to build on for urban infrastructure or for other development uh, you also have it for um, creating farmland as well. Um, and then you have it for more kind of extractive processes as well. And for this, not always the drainage is required. Uh, for example, kind of small scale uh, turf cutting, you don't need to drain. But if you're doing it on a larger scale that is necessary or kind of potting uh, soil uh, extraction, then the drainage is, is a part of that process as well. Um, and for fuel then as well, but it depends kind of whether it's being done on an industrial or more small scale level. Hey, all right. Um, 
And tell us a little bit about some of perhaps your personal experiences, sort of, you know, being with the, well, being with the boxer, a strange way of putting it, but some of the things that you've experienced in your work. Okay. No, it is quite a nice way of saying it, I think, being with the bog, because, hmm. well, I grew up in uh, in North Yorkshire, so by the by the Yorkshire Moors, uh, and my parents, uh, my grandparents, rather, that on my mum's side, they come from Ireland, so kind of through this, my interest and my passion for peatlands, I've kind of realised these more kind of connections in my own history as well, which is quite nice uh, to see, you know, I, I find myself now in Denmark, where you have a lot of peatlands, uh, in the Netherlands, where I previously lived, in New Zealand, you also have a lot of peatlands. So I can kind of trace a little bit my my own story through the peatlands, which is quite nice. Uh, and it kind of, on one hand, yeah, it, it, it draws attention to the to the interaction that people and peat have had over centuries, um, but also the fact that they were always present in my life, but I was never really aware of them. I never thought of the Yorkshire Moor as peatlands, for example. So it kind of also signals this need for more um yeah more awareness or appreciation or kind of forefronting of peatlands okay brilliant um that's very nice to hear and so of course you mentioned there a number of ways how things have been in decline and um how things could be improved what would you like to see um over the coming years perhaps the coming decades um and also within that what do you think is actually viable what, what do you think we will see in the coming decades so I think what is really important is kind of um, highlighting these these positive narratives. Or I mean, sometimes they're also complex. It's not only positive, but this new stories around peatlands and kind of the recovering of old stories around how much interaction people and peat have had over over centuries. As I've said, you know um, that we can find those stories and share those stories again, because that's something that I think is really key towards leading towards more restoration and more protection of peatlands. And also kind of signals, you know, if, if people really care about an ecosystem or for, for anything really, and you have really the public support and the community support, then the policies that are protecting those communities as well should also follow. Because I think what we have now is potentially a situation where peatlands are being recognized for their carbon storage potential, uh, but communities are not necessarily being um, given a seat at the table to restore those peatlands or to have their interactions with the peatlands kind of honored and respected. Uh, so I'm thinking then of, of you know, large companies, for example, buying up large tracts of peatlands and then using them for carbon credit systems, for example. And if those kind of those kind of processes are being um, prioritized over community rights to the peatland, I think there we have a bit of an issue, um, just a social issue, a social justice issue, a kind of depopulation issue, um, and kind of denying that long history that people have had with peatlands. So that's what I would really like to see is, you know, first of all, this appreciation and this awareness, and then that being really driven by communities so that communities are more able to, or, you know, allowed to have more of a say on what is occurring on the peatlands and what kind of uh, restoration processes and larger societal processes are going on. Um, and I think you do see that happening as well. I think that's a totally realistic uh, proposal as well. Of course, there is a lot of carbon credits going on. And I think it's progressed so fast that we haven't necessarily stopped and thought about what are the, all the implications of this carbon credit system and how can we make it more equitable. Um, 
But there are community buyouts, for example, in Scotland, they're really kind of pushing for this kind of process now. Uh, and other countries may follow as well, um, that you really have it being done in that kind of way, I think is important. And finally, Bethany, where can people find your work and support Repeat? So if you search us at repeat.earth, you should find us with a hyphen in the repeat. Uh, and we're on, so we have the website, we're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook as well. Uh, and you can sign up to our kind of um, somewhat sporadic at the moment newsletter, but hopefully at some point, um, yeah, you'll hear from us that way as well. Fantastic. Bethany, thank you for your time. Thank you very much.